Welcome to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. Ross Brannan is a financial advisor who knows it's not just about your teeth. He helps dental practice owners protect and maximize today's cash flow to plan for tomorrow's cash needs. Find him at rossbrannan.com. On the show, he brings together experts to help dental professionals looking to make smart money decisions to grow their income, turn their retirement goals into reality, and improve their lives. And now, here's your host, Ross Brannan. Hi there. Are you a high income earner? Do you feel like you're paying more than your fair share? Do you feel like the tax man is taking too big a bite out of your check, out of your finances? Well, I'm here to help. I help high-income people legally reduce their taxes, and I can help you. So if you feel like you're paying too much in taxes and you're a high-income individual, schedule an introductory conversation with me, and let's see what maybe we can do to help. Also, if you've had a large capital gain event, maybe it's a business, maybe it's a piece of real estate, maybe it's stocks or bonds, investments, we can help there too. So reach out, schedule a discovery call, and let's see if we can solve your problem. Welcome to the show. Today we have Eric Miller, Chief Advisor and Co-Owner of Econologics Financial Advisor. They are not your typical financial advisor, and I think this will be a very interesting conversation. Eric, welcome to the show. Ross, I'm pumped. Let's do this. All right. So everyone knows what a financial advisor is, right? They all do the same thing, right? Seems like it. Maybe not so much. Maybe not so much. They don't all do the same thing. They might have the same licenses, but they, to the untrained eye, they do. But here's the reality, they don't. So talk a little bit about what makes you different and talk a little bit about what makes you the same. Although yeah. you and I would argue there really is nothing the same, but kind of tell your story. Yeah, I think the, the easiest part to tell is, uh, you know, when I was you know, kind of go, coming up and deciding what I wanted to do. I wanted to become a financial advisor. I took the route that most financial advisors do. I work, you know, in retirement plans and mutual fund industry. And then, you know, at some point in time, I, I was like, you know, I want to go do this on my own. And, but I always knew that in order to be a, to me, a successful financial advisor, you had to have a niche. Like you had to, if you could focus on something, and being from a healthcare family, I was like, well, I want to, I want to help healthcare owners because I saw that they were really underserved. And then I learned really early on that if I was going to be any good as a financial advisor, I had to change the way that I thought as a financial advisor. And the reason I say that is because most advisors, their, their model is going to a client, Hey, how much money do you have for me to invest? I'll charge you a management, a management fee for that. And we'll talk maybe, you know, twice a year doing portfolio reviews or, or something of that sort. And, you know, which I, most people don't understand the conversation and also don't care. And they absolutely don't have any idea what they just looked at. You know, most people don't have any idea what they own or why they own it. That's another discussion. But I learned that, you know, if I was going to be any good at actually changing the life of a healthcare owner, I had to know something about their practice. I had to know uh, its profit margins. I had to know how it generated revenue, the services, because this is the biggest investment that most people have, right? That in their real estate. So 
why would you, why as a, an advisor, as someone that's supposed to be a fiduciary, how can I just ignore their biggest investment and not show them how to utilize it? And, and when you say biggest investment, you're referring to the fact that they likely took out three to $500,000 in student loans to get the skills to actually start a practice yeah. in the dentistry world. And- yeah, an enormous amount of money that they put in there. And I had to learn, I had to, we had to immerse ourselves in healthcare practices, how they operate, you know, understanding profit and loss statements, all those things. So the client can actually talk to you about dentistry technical terms uh, yeah. and procedures, and you'll know what they're talking about. Whereas most, like they say, all on fours, you're like, okay. Um, yeah. And when they say uh, um, ops, you know, you know what they mean, things you kind of learn as you go through time. But yeah. the, average, the average person does not. They're like, okay, here's your SEP or here's your 401k or this and that and this and that. But that also helps you. Am I wrong to say that also helps you to help them more from a, a cash flow management standpoint, which I believe is very important. But as you and I both know, you don't get paid for cash flow management, but it's a very, very valuable service. Uh, for sure. And I just tend to find that most people don't have like a system of how much they pay themselves. Uh, how much they should be taking, how to, how to control the flow of money. Like your practice makes all this money. It sits in the, in, in your bank account. You know, there, there's no system of how that money can be utilized to increase the overall net worth and cash flow of the household as well. Cause in my mind, it's very simple. Your household should be looked at as your parent company, right? If you look in, in corporate America, all these DSOs out there that have been formulated, they all have like a parent company. Right. And then they own all these subsidiary practices. You got to look at your household the same way. So every asset that you have, whether it's your real estate, your practice, it has to make sure that you are properly compensating um, yourself as the risk taker, which uh, unfortunately I see a lot of dentists that don't do that. They may pay themselves a, a, a fairly good wage just to like pay for their lifestyle, but that's it. So we, we show them really how to set up some good systems. Well, you talk about, you know, creating wealth outside of your practice, which I think is important. You talk about protecting your assets from lawsuits, taxes, inflation. Talk about some of the things that you do that are that are that are valuable and they're unique to you in your process. Yeah, I think the the first thing that I have every owner do, which, uh, you know, is is kind of like when I when I tell them to do it, they're like, oh, I don't know if I can do this or not. Um, I have them set up a separate account outside of their business. And I just call it a wealth storage account. Beautiful. Okay. And I have them take the first 10% of their revenue every single week and have them take out that, that 10% and put that into their wealth storage account. It's, it's the old adage, pay yourself first or the famous book, profit first. Yeah, but everybody does it backwards. They usually take 10% of what they take home. Like if I take okay. home $250,000, I take 10% of that. No, 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 no. 10% of your practice revenue. So if you're doing, you know, 200,000 a month, okay, 20 grand comes right off the top and goes into that well storage account. That is not for consumption purposes. It's not for bigger boats and cars and it's diamond not rings, not even for your taxes. That is for the express purpose of, of creating, building other income sources, passive income sources, whatever you want to call it or name it. Okay? And let me, let me guess, Eric, when they do that, uh, they never miss the money and it didn't affect their, their cash flow and their business at all. And it ended up being a tremendous blessing. 
No, because the, the first thing every owner has to know about money is two things. Number one, a practice is going to try to spend every flipping dollar that it makes and then some. Second thing is that it will make what it thinks it needs to make. And quite frankly, most owners are have a lack of necessity. So part of the reason why I, I rip money out of the practice is that I want to create necessity for that owner to think that he's broke. Right. And so oh, that Parkinson's they, law yeah. rise to mean income. Exactly. That's exactly right. So Personally you, or business wise, that's what happens. Yeah. So you have to make sure that you expense your profits. You, they, they have to be treated just like an expense. And, um, and that's, that to me has been the only way we've been able to help people create enough reserves that they can create significant, you know, passive, reliable retirement income, whatever name you want to call it. But um, that's the first thing we do. You know, and, and some people are like, oh, my practice can't afford that. I'm like, okay, we'll start on a gradient then and we'll build up to that. But, you know, the most people just operating on the wrong numbers. They underestimate how much they need in income assets and resources. And uh, so, you know, I do a lot of that, just helping people confront that number. Well, talk about protection from lawsuits and taxes and inflation, because, you know, the I always talk like if you get in a car accident and you're wearing scrubs, because a majority of dentists will wear scrubs yeah. when practicing, not all of them, but a majority will. If you get out of the car and you hit somebody and you're wearing scrubs, they're going to think you make more money than you make. They're assuming you make neurosurgeon money or whatever extreme you want to use. They're assuming you make that. And more often than not, you don't. And then today, I mean, you and I live in Florida and every other billboard is a personal injury attorney in our state. Um, so there's a decent chance you will get sued. And so you want to protect that. You know, obviously in Florida, our home, our primary residence is protected and, our, and retirement accounts are protected. But talk about other things you do to protect assets. In that yeah, state. it's simple. And then, and you know, dentists are always pitched like they're pitched everything. I mean, dentists just get pitched all kinds of things and, you know, they get pitched, you know, these advanced assets, you know, you got to take your money offshore, set these offshore trusts and, you know, for $45,000, you know, either the lawyers are trying to sell you something. Yes. You guys don't need to do that. All right. Asset protection is really simple. All you're trying to do is like, put barriers around an asset. There is no foolproof. There is no bulletproof. All you're trying to do is put like a barrier around an asset. What are the tools that you have? You mentioned one, state laws. So in the state of Florida and many other states, they protect the house, they protect retirement accounts. And most states protect uh, cash value life insurance and annuities yep. as well. Yep. So that would be one. Second one, business entities, LLCs, limited partnerships, those kinds of things do offer some kind of, uh, of asset protection. You know, if you got $300,000 sitting in a brokerage account in your own name, you know, that's dumb. You don't need to do that. You can retitle assets in Florida. If you're a married couple, you can uh, title an account tenants by the entirety. That's, that's a huge one. So a lot yeah. of people realize this and tenants by the entireties is recognized in about 20 states, but not yep. every state's recognize every asset like Florida does. So as he's talking about, if you have a bank account titled tenants by the entireties, it means the marriage owns the account. So if someone sues my wife and she's liable, but we have a, a tenants by the entireties account, then they can't touch it. But if it's a regular joint account, they can, they can touch the account. Yeah. 
In my experience, Eric, if you go into a bank and ask them to, to tell the account tenants by the entireties, they will look at you like they're an alien because they don't know what you're talking about. And that leads me to say lots of nice things about bankers. Wait, oh, never mind. Um, but I'm not going to here. But uh, that that's a big one for sure. Um, clueless. Mo- yeah, mo- most of the bankers are clueless. You got you just you have to press them. Say, I know I can do this, or you know. But uh, but yeah. So that would be. What was that three? Is that two? Third third one would be insurance, right? Just ma- pre- make, making sure you have the proper insurance, umbrella coverage. Um, you know, personal liability, professional liability. You know, just make I, sure I you have proper insurance. An umbrella policy. I mean, everybody. I, I'll make a broad brush statement that you know, it's not going to be a hundred percent accurate, but it's pretty close to accurate. Everybody should have a $5 million umbrella. Oh, hundred percent. $5 million. I mean, if you're making a hundred grand a year, maybe you don't need a $5 million umbrella, but if you're making three, four, five hundred thousand dollars or more, you should have a $5 million umbrella. And that umbrella annually will cost you a thousand dollars a year or less. Yeah. It's the and- cheapest, bestest asset protection you can probably get. And uh, and then the last one would just be what are called debt shields, right? So, I mean, a lot of people own properties and if you have debt against a, a property, it makes it less attractive to a um, to a creditor. And, you know, th- I mean, all that stuff right there. It, yeah, but Eric, it, that's, a, that's a very shrewd move you're talking about right there. So that's yeah. something that more sophisticated people will do is they will have the uh, assets to pay off something, but yep. they will leverage it for the purposes of asset protection because it is not an appealing asset in that regard because that's it, right. so that's a very shrewd thing to, to consider doing for the right person but all these things don't take thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to do you can implement some of these things and protect a significant amount of your assets for probably less than five thousand bucks so my, my point is it just takes someone to give you the right guidance to make sure that you do a review of all your assets, look at which ones are exposed, look at which ones aren't, and just get a plan together so that you can protect your assets. It's it's the single biggest area that I see most dentists and other healthcare owners just kind of ignore. And I'm like, dude, why did you go through all this trouble of building all these assets if it just takes one mistake and all this can be taken away from you? You're right. Now, and one thing is to go back on whether it's retirement accounts, annuities, or insurance, you don't necessarily want to contribute to one of those assets solely for the purpose of asset protection. You have to make sure that you need that asset right? because of your fact, and everyone's facts and circumstances are different. So, all right. So you talk about reorganizing expenses. Talk a little yeah. bit about that. Yeah. I think the, the biggest thing there is, you know, I, I like Whenever we talk to a new dentist or new client or whoever it is, you know, I'll go in their profit and loss statements and I'll ask them, I see all of your, how you, your expenses run. Um, what's your make break number? And when I say make, like when I say make break number, what do you think of? Like, like, how would you define that? Well, that's what, what's your cost of what's your overhead? What is your cost right. of living or cost of doing business? Yeah. And I can promise you, nobody knows <laughs> Nobody knows. Or or worse off, they're underestimating it. So when I go in there and I'll say, okay, I see how much you're spending on, you know, your your staff wages and you know your admin costs and everything like that. But um I noticed that you to go back to your point, you're not taking that 10% uh, right off the top to pay yourself as an owner. Why not? Where is your tax account? Where is your like a business uh, protection and, and savings account? And where's a business expansion account? And they look at me like, 
like sideways, like I, no one's ever told me about these things. These aren't expenses. I'm like, oh yeah, they are. Because if you want to have an expanding practice that's paying you what you should be being paid, that has enough money that you can overcome a shutdown for six or eight weeks. And so that you can, you know, have money to pay your taxes so that you're not calling me up on April 16th and saying, Oh, by the way, my accountant just said I owe $120,000 this year. Can you liquidate my portfolio? Where am I going to get the money? Right. So we got to, we got to start. This kind of goes back to what I was talking about before. You have to make sure that you're accounting for things that you don't really think are expenses, but they actually need to be treated like expenses. That's what I mean by reorganizing that. And by doing that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, if you think your make break number is 150,000 a month, but it's actually probably about 180,000 a month when I start adding up all these things. And that is how you get someone into a better financial condition right there, by making them aware that they're operating on, on the wrong numbers. And um, it starts with that. It's a really big deal. And then, uh, you know, I always tell people, you know, round up, you know, if you think it's X amount round up. So yeah, that, that, that's, that's a big deal. So Talk about some of the other things that you guys do that um, really makes you different. And it's a reason why someone should work with you. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is, is the, is the frequency. It's just frequency. And what I mean by that is, you know, look, you got kids. I got five. Oh, geez. So, you know, you take them out for ice cream or you take them to the mall or whatever it is. You take your attention off of a, a toddler for like two seconds I mean, that kid's across the street. You don't know where they're at, right? Your money's the same way. And, you know, it never made any sense to me that, you know, of how infrequent most owners are are looking at their finances. So, you know, we I wanted to set up a service model where we're talking to our healthcare owners at least once a month, right? And people are like, what are you going to talk about? And I'm like, what, are you kidding me? Like there's never a lack of things financially to talk about, whether it's debt management, state planning, asset protection, value of your business, controlling your cash flow, whatever it is, right? And, you know, making sure that you're looking at the right financial measurements too. So, you know, our system is built upon frequency and then metrics so that we can show this person that they're actually getting better. Talk about metrics. Yeah. So again, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And, and if I asked a, 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 a dentist, like what, what are, how do you, how do you measure your financial progress? Well, you know, I got money in the bank. Okay. My practice is doing better. You know, I got a nice car, got a nice house, you know? All right. Well, let's dig in a little bit more. Like what's your effective tax rate? What's your debt to income ratios? What's your debt to assets ratios? They're like, what does that mean? Exactly. Effective tax rate is just the total amount of tax that you pay compared to your income, right? And and most people never go to their CPAs and say, I need you to reduce this for me, please, which they don't. But, um, you know, we have about like 17 different metrics that that we, we utilize just to show someone like, here's the progress that you're making. You know, here's your, here's your savings rate. Here's your you know, I mentioned effective tax rate. Here's your asset protection ratio. You know, these are, these are all things that we will, will go over with an owner so that they can see that they're making progress and it's not just guesswork. So that's kind of part of the things that we do that I think a lot of other, like a Raymond James guy or a Merrill Lynch guy, they're not going to do that. They're just going to look at your portfolio and tell you, you know, buy Apple or NVIDIA, sell 
Tesla. Who knows? Yeah, that, I mean, that is important because if you're talking, a lot of people are going to be like, what are you actually talking about? And yep. when you explain to them, because it's more than just your portfolio or more than just your insurance coverage or whatever, it's you're looking at things. You're almost like in some respects, you know, or remotes, a VFO, a virtual CFO. or Like a CFO. Yeah, yeah, to that degree. I mean, most people have to be their own CFO because I'm not... I'm not going to tell you that you can't spend money. That's the last thing I do is give you a budget because I don't really right. believe that too much in them at all. But I would say another thing that we do is that we spend a lot of time on uh, the exit as well is like really making sure that you are treating your practice like an investment and not just a job and what it's going to take for you to exit out of your practice and get a, a high value. I mean, these are things that, I mean, we probably had 50 clients sell in the last five years. So, I, I mean, I know, you know, who you're going to sell to, how you should sell. You know, I'm not a broker. I don't, you know, find buyers and everything like that, but we, we, we know the planning process of uh, exiting. Yeah. That's it's, it's a big deal. Now talk a little bit about post exit because you and I yeah. offline would argue that most people who sell probably shouldn't sell. Uh, it's sexy to sell, but you and I would argue you're, you're getting rid of the golden goose. And especially when you're really young how are you going to replace that income? Because you're just getting an advance on your income of five to seven years. And obviously, unless you do substantial tax planning, you got a big tax hit. And I don't believe in retirement. Someone's got to figure out what they're going to do after their earnout. So what is your take on that? Well, a uh, couple things on that. So someone comes to me and says, Eric, I want to exit. <clears throat> I'll just ask them, okay, uh, two things. Um, are you emotionally ready? And are you financially ready for this? All right. Those are the two things. Now, emotionally, what's the number one reason why someone wants to exit out? They're burnout. You know, you probably heard that term. It's like, I'm, I'm burnout. I don't want to do this anymore. Blah, 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 blah. So, okay. So uh, sometimes it's real. Sometimes it's not, but we tend, we tend to like, I try to get people to really understand, man, you're going 160 mile an hour when you own a business. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, you're going to go from 160 mile an hour down to zero. That's going to mess with you. And I've seen people that have sold that had, didn't replace that activity with any kind of game, any kind of purpose, any kind of anything. And they end up drinking, you know, all kinds of bad things. I know, I know yeah. people who have gone into severe depression you know, from doing Depression, it. all kinds but, of things. And of course, then there's the money side, which most people underestimate how long they're going to live. And yep. most people don't really understand the math of if you're going to live 40 or 50 more years or 30 or 40 more years, how much money you actually need to live the way you want to live. Yeah. And without having to touch the principle. So I, you know, I would tell most people like, how much do you want to have an income for your ideal lifestyle? Not just like bare minimum, your ideal. Oh, 50 grand a month. Okay, great. Well, that's $600,000 a year. So how much do you need in total assets? Let's say they were just generating a 5% return. Yeah, we're not even going to talk about the 4% rule. Exactly. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm taking that out of the equation, right? Right. Like how, how much do you need in, in total assets to generate $600,000 a year, okay, at a 5% rate of return? I think the number is like 7.2 million or something like that. 
Is that right? 7.2. Uh, it's a bigger and, number than they realize. And then you're no, having it's actually, it's actually more than that. Yeah. Well, let, me, let me pull my calculator. You got your calculator out? Yeah, I'm doing it right now. It's $12 million. But you haven't even factored in inflation. No, not really. But $12 million in assets that you would need. Now, that doesn't mean that you need $12 million in retirement accounts, right? It's $12 million total assets. So right. my, re my real estate, my, my practice value, my, my other investments, I'm going to need around 10 to 12 million. And that's the number most people should be probably shooting for. Because to your point, you know, who, who does inflation affect the most? It's going to be people on fixed and low incomes, yep. right? Like if you're making, you know, a million dollars a year and the price of gasoline goes from $3.10 up to $5, it's going to be an inconvenience for you. Right. It's not going to change your life that much, though. See what I mean? But if you're living on Social Security and a small pension, then yes, it will. It's going to 100 percent. So you guys got to change the amount of assets that you think you need and forget about this idea that you're going to dip into the like this is the target target setting to do this. Or, yeah. or forget the idea that I'm going to go get a higher than average rate of return to yes. offset this So because you're much better off project assuming a 5% rate of return and then yeah. achieving an 8% rate of return, That's then just assuming bonus. an 8% rate of return and achieving a 5% rate of return. hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. You can, you could probably, my number calculation would, would, would be the total assets would be less on a higher rate of return. Right. But I would just say, let's, let's shoot for that target, you know? And um, so that, that to me is proper planning, which most people aren't doing. And, uh, and, and I think, let, let, let me interrupt you there. So, because you said something, proper planning mm -hmm. versus managing assets. Yes. Um, and so, just because you have an advisor who manages an account, I don't care how big the account is, that isn't planning. No. no. That's just helping you with an account. And just showing you a simulation that says that you have a 85% probability of not running out of money. Which, is by not, the way, those simulations are always wrong. Is not is not proper planning. Like a plan is like, this is the number that you need. This is where you're at right now. And this is what we got to do step-by-step step for the next seven years, 10 years, whatever number of years it is to get you to that number. Well, let me ask you a question, Eric. What's more, um, what has a larger influence on my financial success in the future? A managed portfolio of X amount of dollars or my business? Oh, it's the, the business is, I mean, that is, that's your question. I mean, uh, so like the reality is I don't care how much money you save. I don't yeah. care if you're saving 20 or 30% of your money. The business is the driver of your financial success because the business is what's generating your 20 or 30% savings that you're investing wherever you're investing them. And, and not only that, not only that, but think about this, because you had mentioned, we talked about multiples of practices, right? Yes. And we said that in some of these industries right now, you can get 10 times your earnings, okay? So for every dollar of profit you guys generate, you can get 10 times that amount in the value of your business. So why are you guys wasting time trading stocks or, you know, looking at like, you know, other, well, other things? You can why argue... I, I would actually argue that the highest rate of return you're ever going to get is investing in your business. Yes, exactly. That's my point is like you can, if you figure out ways to, to generate more income, keep the profits, like an extra, 
a hundred thousand dollar of profit, right? On a, on a business times 10, because that's the multiple. What is that? That's an extra the million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Million dollars of value. You've, you've, you've now, you've increased the value of your business by. What you see typically is most business owners don't have much money in the stock market outside of a retirement account because they're investing in their business and they will typically get a higher rate of return in their business. Now, some do, and there's nothing wrong with that because they want to diversify away from their business. Nothing wrong with that at all. No. Um, But typically you're going to get a higher rate of return in your business if you become a student of how to do that in your business. Yeah. And I'm also one of these guys that think that, um, and look, we're a registered investment advisor. We do that. You know, we do have people that have, you know, money in public securities and stocks and but bonds. You're in that business, but, yeah. you're, but you're honest. But I also, I, you know, I can't stand the advisors who think that is the only source or investment for a practice owner. You know, there's there obviously real estate's a big one. Insurance based products, I think, have a fit. You know, private placement uh, offerings certainly have a fit for people. You know, there's there's definitely other sources that you can generate cash flow for your household. But again, it goes back to having a plan of how you're going to do all this. Yeah, it's brilliant. All right, so talk about what it's like to work with you. If someone if someone's like, hey, this this Eric guy is interesting. He's hmm. he's different than my advisor, or maybe I'm to the point where I need a guy like Eric. What does that conversation look like? Yeah, it's pretty simple. You know, we, we just do an intro call with someone and I just, you know, we ask a lot of questions, you know, and, and I want to know, but I'm going to ask a lot of questions about your practice, because again, these are things that I need to know, like what, what direction are you going with this business? What's your ideal scene look like for your life? And, um, you know, how, how does that, how does the money relate to that? And then we get into, you know, after that, you know, we, we formulate an actual plan for them. And when I say a plan, it's not a proposal to buy insurance products and put money in, in equities. It's like an actual plan, right? Of these are things that you need to do differently. If you want to accelerate the process of getting into financial independence and, you know, changing the way that you're utilizing the business, setting up these accounts, making sure you have the right targets for your, your practice production, um, you know, we'll handle, you, you know, how you're paying off your debt, if there's any change that we want to make there. And, but most importantly, you're assigned an advisor that knows your business. He under, they understand all my advisors are trained to understand these healthcare businesses. Um, they know them, uh, they know the metrics and the frequency of your conversations are going to be a lot more than with any other advisor that you've had. So if someone's interested in that, how do they get in touch with you guys? They can just go to econologicsfinancialadvisors.com. Uh, well, let's Econolog- spell that because some people <laughs> might not know how to spell that. It's you kind of, you invented a word. I got a better one. How about just going to wealthfordentists.com? That's an easy one right there. That's much better. Wealthfordentists.com. And if yeah. they go wealthfordentists.com, what happens? So they're just going to go to a landing page that'll direct them to a website. They can schedule for, we do a series of webinars uh, that they can attend. They, we have online financial assessments so that you can, you can take it, see where you stack up. And then if you want to schedule an intro call with us, you can do that as well. So basically you get to kind of look through the window a little bit, see if it's with you. And then if you're interested, you can just schedule something online. Sounds great. I mean, so Super low pressure, nothing at all, uh, nothing hard, nothing hard, you know, no. 
That's good. I got down. I got downloads. They're afraid, oh, I'm going to get sold something. You're not going to get sold something. You're going to get coached on how to run your business better, um, which I would argue is, you know, a, probably a good thing. Yes, so, for sure. And what's the website one more time? It's uh, wealthfordentists.com. Wealthfordentists.com. That's a good web. That's a good uh, web address right there. Yeah. So, so well, Eric, thank you so much for hopping on. This has been great. It's been informative. And I think our listeners learned a lot today. All right. Glad I could help. You've been listening to Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brand. This has been another episode of Financial Flossing with Ross Brannon, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. For more on Ross Brannon, visit rossbrannon.com. Ross Brandon is a registered representative of Coastal Equities, Inc., and investment advisory representative of Coastal Investment Advisors, Inc. Investment advisory services are offered through Coastal Investment Advisors, Inc., and securities are offered through Coastal Equities, Inc. Member FINRA, SIPC, 1201 North Orange Street, Suite 729, Wilmington, Delaware, 19801. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.